Hey everyone, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 568 being recorded Thursday, December 12th. Forgot to update the date in the show notes. Yeah, we're a day late today. Uh, that's because we had a review come out that was not able to be published till this morning. And we wanted to make sure we could talk about it this week. So we'll get into that shortly. Uh, but we're, you're glad, we're, we're glad you could join us. We normally record these on Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern time. And you can always join us at pcpro.com slash live to be in the chat, be in the Discord, and uh, and participate. And then, of course, if, if you want to watch it on demand, if, if that's too late for you, no problem. Head over to pcpro.com slash podcast where you can see all the on-demand edited episodes along with the show notes and links and picks of the week all there for your convenience. Uh, but we're going to jump right into the show this week because Josh has to go to work. That's right. It's security update night for that poor bastard. And so we're going to we're going to have him talk about a few things that he was involved in this week, and then we're going to uh, let him head off to work. So without further ado, uh, let's jump into the show. So Josh, uh, you had a really interesting conversation this week uh, with Kevin Crewell. He's a uh, well, he's now an, an industry analyst and journal, you know, journalist. He writes for various publications. He uh, does uh, some research and reports at uh, Tirius Research. And uh, of course, the thing you guys talked about, though, was earlier in his career, he was at AMD and was involved there during the time of the K5, K6 processor days. And so you uh, had a uh, recorded a, an, inter an interview with him on uh, Monday night, and we've got that up at the site, the full one-hour interview. Uh, we, uh, we had some comments. Uh, we titled it A Short History of the K6 and K7, and a couple of comments pointed out that an hour plus is not necessarily short, but uh, I thought it was great. Close enough. So yeah, tell us, uh, tell us, uh, without going everything into the video that, uh, that you discussed, what did you talk about with Kevin? Sure. Uh, you know, when, when I, I had been into computers since high school. So in the eighties, I was pretty moderately interested. And then as I started getting along more in college, it became greater and greater interest. And, you know, I started reading about this upcoming K6 processor that was supposed to be able to beat Intel at its own game. And, uh, it got me really interested in and what was AMD and, and, uh, you know, what was Intel doing and, and just the other options that we had out there. And plus it was also the dawn of, of the age of 3d. So, you know, the voodoo graphics boards were out, uh, Riva TN and, and that were not quite there yet, but you know, you had the Verity V 1000 and, um, the, the video logic stuff. Uh, but what got me kind of it to, uh, journalism is, covering the K6 when it was first released. That was, you know, what some of my very first uh, uh, reviews were about the K6 and motherboards and, you know, graphics that worked or didn't work in, in you know, Super 7 <laughs> slots. And uh, But a couple of years back, I got to know Kevin Crewell and uh, became good friends. But, yeah, he worked at, at AMD during this time. And so we had a discussion back and forth about, my experiences outside of AMD and and how we viewed processor in the marketplace and uh, the experiences that we had with these products as they were released and you know the, the the how Intel reacted and so then he also gave um, you know some insight about what was happening inside AMD and what were they were thinking and what their goals were and what their original aims were and the issues that they had trying to get this stuff to market. And so we talked a little bit about uh, early AMD, you know, how they were founded uh, up through pretty much the release of K7. He left AMD just slightly before uh, the K7 was re released. And oddly enough, he 
jumped around to a couple places and then ended up at 3DFX at, for two weeks until, you know, he knew that that was really bad news and tried to get out of there as soon as possible. But, uh, you know, throughout the, the entire thing, there's a lot of interesting tidbits, um, you know, fun to, to think back of, of these products, you know, what they meant to us as consumers and, you know, pricing of, of entire systems back in the day and, and how they were doing things like there, you know, it was the race to get an entire system down to, you know, a thousand dollars with everything you could possibly use in there. And of course, you know, today, if you bought a thousand dollar PC, you'd, you'd have a pretty competent thing. But back then that was, you know, that was scraping the bottom of the barrel. That was the lowest stuff you could possibly get, but it was still something that they were working on. So uh, again, he had a lot of really interesting things, um, especially about, you know, sockets versus slots, how wear and tell was going, where AMD, how a cadre of people wanted to go and, and how eventually, you know, economics just kind of kept them where they were in, in certain areas. So, you know, uh, go and, Check that out. It's about an hour long, and and Jim found some interesting uh, pictures and a couple of uh, animated gifs and and whatnot that were uh, interesting, and then a couple that are funny, and then at the end is is some uh, some retro uh, ads from AMD that really just kind of shows us where we came from. So it's uh, it was a lot of fun talking to Kevin. Was good. He's a funny guy. So hope you enjoy it. Yeah, and thanks uh, thanks so much for doing that for us, Josh and. Uh... It was very popular. I, I was looking. Uh, I think this might be our biggest up up vote to down vote ratio on YouTube, or <laughs> like to dislike. Because let's see. Oh, okay. Is what well, two twenty six to two or something like yeah, that? Yeah. Well, we, we got near two hundred likes before we got our first dislike. I think I see. There's now two there. So uh, you know, pretty pretty positive. Con- well, well, that's nice. Mostly, mostly, <laughs> mostly positive. <laughs> Int Peanut doesn't like me, but that's okay. He does not. I don't like me either, so I don't blame him for that. Um, but uh, yeah, so check that out. We'll I remember have the... to log in on downvote too. <laughs> That's all right. Um, hmm. and, the most uh, downvoted video I think we've ever had on the channel is the unfortunate inclusion of my joke processor myth exposed video from like six years ago. Yeah, that that which uh, it was so obviously satire that the people's thinking it wasn't cost me a little bit of faith in humanity yeah but uh yeah 500 dislikes on that right away i think well check out that interview we have the obviously it's on our youtube channel and we've got a link uh on the website as well so that is uh if you're interested in that period of amd it's a great uh great discussion uh let's continue on with amd this is the thing we kind of had to delay one of the things we had to delay our podcast for which is uh, a new the new graphics card their new i mean you'd call this mid-range this is Mid, mid-range i don't even know what mid-range price. is anymore that, honestly that's true Main, but i'm calling is... it mainstream i mm-hmm. guess because it's around 200 bucks it's 1080p Ten, 1080p targeted yeah. yeah so this is of course this is the amd radeon rx 5500 xt this is their their new tier of navi graphics cards they launched with the 5700 series uh earlier this year and, and now uh, sebastian had a chance to review this uh this new 5500 XT. So what'd you find here, Sebastian? Well, it's a really small die. They're down to, I think it's 158 millimeters squared on this. So we're, we're talking seven nanometer Navi, but instead of Navi 10, as we saw with the 50 or the, yeah, the 5700 series, it's Navi 14. This is the same GPU that 
I assume this is the same GPU that's in the mobile variant, the 5500M. But interestingly, apparently that has at least 24 compute units. AMD was not giving us any specs on this. That was kind of odd. Like in the in the call with them before this was released, uh, I had asked for full specs. The reviewer's guide does not divulge like any more than you'd expect it to. So we're just kind of guessing. There's at least 24 CUs on the table with this GPU. 22 are enabled for this. So that could be... I know uh, Ryan Smith at Anantec was speculating that might just be for binning purposes, you know, give yourself a little bit of wiggle room there and get uh, higher production numbers out of it. But that that produces 1,408 streaming processors. It's uh, just 128-bit memory, just like that 5,500 for the OEM market that we talked about in October. So we had been waiting since then to see what the end user would be able to buy at retail and it's called the XT, the RX 5500 XT, same GPU, all the specs are the same, except it's available in an eight gigabyte variant as well as four gigabytes. And the clocks are a little bit higher. Not a lot, just like 45 or 50 megahertz higher game clocks. And AMD was sampling this, but it's a it's a partner-only launch, so they were sending out... I think a lot of reviewers got the same uh, Sapphire Pulse card that we did, which is a nice card. It's a dual-fan card that's virtually silent. It's one of the quietest video cards I've ever used because it has two pretty big fans on it for a GPU this size, and they spin at less than 1,200 RPM under load. But the interesting thing is obviously seeing what kind of performance this has, and it's... Uh, kind of underwhelming. Like I was, I was a lot more excited about this as I wrote the review yesterday after I got all the results together and made these charts thinking this was a $159 card the whole time. Like, of course they're launching this at the same price as the 1650 super. I saw that in the email. So that's great. And I went back and looked at the email this morning and like, crap, it's 169 and 199. So it changed the messaging of the review a little bit. I do a quick rewrite for the end, but it's the the performance is just a little below an RX 590. That's all you really need to know, which which places it slightly above the 1650 Super, but we're talking about a frame and a half to I think the best case was about seven and a half frames average. That was in Far Cry 5. Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the benchmark, but I had a breakdown at the end of the results. If you look at the review online, just to show you just of the four games that we tested at 1080 high across three different, uh, APIs, we had Vulkan, DirectX 10, DirectX 11, or DirectX 12 and DirectX 11. And it's, it's just a little bit faster than that NVIDIA card. But the impressive thing to me is that it was coming close to the performance of an RX 590 but it was consuming a hundred fewer watts than the RX 590. That thing is a like 300 watt power draw from the wall. And then the XT, the new 5500 XT was pulling 200 watts. And that's almost, I mean, that's right there with the GTX 1660 and 1650 supers. So efficient, I don't know. Right there on... On terms of performance too, which, you know, unlike yeah. the 5700, which, you know, was, was about the same performance as, I guess, the competing whatever 
that was at the time, but you know, they're 1660. quite a bit more. No, 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 the 5700 XT. Oh, right, at the time, sorry. Yeah. That's what was going against, what, the 2070 or 27 yeah. Super? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, wasn't that pulling significant more watts at the wall? Yeah, I'd have to performance. go back and look yeah. with the results, but, yeah, it was, it yeah. was pulling a lot more. Navi 14 is... So it's kind of interesting that this little Navi is more efficient again i wonder if it's it's uh just better knowledge of of tsmc seven nanometer or there are other things that they've done on uh on navi to to improve that so that it's very 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 similar in uh power consumption and a little bit better performance than than kind of the corresponding nvidia part i mean look how look how small this is the gpu die on here that's it's it's almost like a mobile die, you know, it's, which makes sense. I mean, they could have just made this a mobile part with a little bit lower clocks, which obviously they have the mobile variant of it, but you know, to, to see something like this in, I think it was uh Brad at PC world might be getting this wrong, but the, the price of this is the only thing that's concerning to me. And I actually, I don't even know the price of this Sapphire card. I haven't reached out to them. The starting price for a bone stock version of this is 169 for the four gigabyte version. Uh, this one, I think carries about a $10 premium over that. So at 179, I don't know. I, 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 my enthusiasm for this was a lot higher yesterday when I was working on this than it was today when I realized at 169, you're $10 above Nvidia's product, but the performance is just a little bit higher, so that can help that obviously justifies the increase. But for them to be a lot more aggressive, they could have matched the pricing of the 1650 Super and said, we have a win at the same price level. So now they're they're asking customers to spend more to get a little bit more, but every $10 matters when you're under 200 bucks. And there's going to be a GPU at every five and ten dollar price point down below two hundred dollars as well. So I don't know. I've I've gone from being really positive to less enthusiastic throughout the day as I thought about this and thought about the aftermarket boards and the, the price points that they're going to be at and seeing cards over 169 when of course, right before this launch. Uh, we've seen some price drops on NVIDIA stuff. So 1660s are now selling for 199 instead of 209 or 219. And, uh, I, but one of the things that, that hit me looking at these charts again, though, looking at 1080 high performance with these cards, the 1650, the vanilla 1650 from earlier, earlier this year is just dreadful. It's, it's anemic compared to the 1650 Super, and I mean, there was at least one of these tests, it was about a 40% deficit. And this is a card that only costs $10 less. They still want 149 for a GTX 1650 that, you know, it underperforms compared to this group. It's not as fast as a 1060, which is getting pretty old at this point. And... I feel like the 1650 Super was what NVIDIA absolutely had to do. Just replace the 1650. Just discontinue it. Drop in the Super at 149. 
now they have this increased competition from AMD where AMD could literally, you know, depending on the game bundle, what kind of deal that is, depending on, you know, maybe there'll be a $10 price drop down the road. So it matches the 1650 super price, but they could say we have the faster card at the same price point. And then I don't even know what the 1650 represents. It should be like a $119 card. Uh, I saw MSI, Asus, PowerColor, Sapphire, Gigabyte, uh, AS Rock, and on oh, and a Zotac as well. So they, they did spew out, or sorry, no, the Zotac was a, a different card. Sorry, but they did put out a lot of different watt kinds, and most people were of the, yeah, if this had been 149 or 159, this is not bad. You know, it, it's nothing to jump up and scream and yell about, but it, it's a decent card of that price but at 169 it's kind of a hard sell with what's going on right now and only a couple of people got uh, the eight gigabyte model so now we're talking two hundred dollars for this card and from their tests uh it is almost better than the four gig there are a couple of specific tests where they saw uh, a jump that you know over top of the four gig model uh, at 1080p, but for the most part, it was the difference between it and say the uh, 1650 super that, that, that it's going against. So you, you might get an extra frame or two in certain specific scenarios. I think uh, some of them were up to three or four frames a second. It's gonna cost you an extra 30 bucks to get that though, so in such a, a tight little market, it's it's the, the prices are kind of hard to s go with, and so I'm curious if Nvidia is just going to say, you know what, let's just uh, drop our prices a little bit. Uh, we've got some new stuff coming out, and just convince everyone to skip this generation of AMD as best we can. Plus, I guess I'm know, not feeling as is as, as negative as as you oh, are. I think that this is a a good new product for AMD. I mean, yeah, it competes with the RX 480, RX 580, uh, a little bit faster at times, like Sebastian said, than the RX 590, which is an overclocked RX 580, which again is an overclocked RX 480. <laughs> but it's a new card. It's a new chip. It's got a couple of new features. Uh, their new drivers have the support for the... Uh, uh, what's the 2D Intrusive big pixels? Pardon? No, turning scaling. Scaling. Yeah. yeah, those are I, what that's now active with the latest drivers that were just dropped yep. yesterday, today. Yeah, this is true. Um, you know, it cuts off 100 watts power, a lot of power, and not only that, but because it doesn't pull as much power. I mean, obviously, board designs are going to be more simple. Uh, heat sink uh, designs are not going to be as robust as what we saw with the RX 480 and RX 580 and 590 at that case. And so AMD's got some more wiggle room in terms of margins with these cards that they didn't have with the RX 480 and, and 580 right now because they're selling those things at rock bottom prices and the margins have got to be absolutely nil. And again, it's 128-bit uh, memory bus. So you've got a less expensive PCB and, and layout and fewer layers. And just all these things put together is, is it's going to be for them a better margin producing product 
that you know pushes out the old stuff, but it's cooler running, slightly more features, and partners are going to be a lot more happy, and A and B is going to be more happy because they're going to be making money, and then also it allows them to be able to drop prices when Nvidia eventually does that on their own, and it's not going to hurt as bad. So, you know, it's, it's, it's positive. It's not, you know, a, a quantum leap forward, which is unfortunate, but it's competitive and it's price competitive. Josh, you think that just looking at AMD, uh, is it the GPU side just less aggressive in general on price? Look at what they're doing, like AMD versus Intel on the CPU side. They have more cores, better overall performance, and a lower price point. So they just, mm-hmm. they just destroy Intel. And is you would think that part of that is because they're making this play to gain market share on the CPU side. What about GPUs? NVIDIA has a pretty big lead at this point and has for yeah. years now. So why wouldn't they want to make inroads on the GPU side by offering better performance at a much lower price and just blow NVIDIA out of the water? Or do they know that NVIDIA would just answer back because they have the i think i think the gpu side is is again learning to walk again uh because they've been in the desert for a long time and they've been kind of pushed to the side while amd has gotten the cpu side up and running now that the cpu side is executing is making money um they've got products in the pipeline that they're going to release at pretty specific times and they've got a good roadmap they're starting to adjust for the GPU stuff. And I, you know, I think part of reason why Raja and some of the others left is that, you know, they were trying to be aggressive. They were trying to do new things. They were trying to do the most that they could with what they had, which really wasn't much because a lot of the money and the talent and all were going to the CPU side. And so they were just kind of barely holding on. And now things are starting to move forward again, and they're going to try to be more aggressive, but I mean, they're, they're, trying to keep their partners happy they're trying to keep their customers happy and in between that two we've got probably slightly higher prices than what we would expect because they need partners to make cards and if partners don't see money coming in from the amd side they're not going to want to do that or they're not going to want to spend extra time on their designs and so i think all that is is just kind of a balancing act and, you know, eventually these parts will become less and less over time. I mean, within two months, we'll probably see a pretty decent erosion of, of prices for, you know, five to 10 bucks. Um, and when you're talking 200 to $160, that's a significant chunk of change overall. So, yeah, I, I mean, they're just trying to get their footing back after being essentially absent and selling a small amount of cards after uh, after the Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency stuff mm. dropped out. So I try to put that out of my mind. It's just yeah. something that never happened. Never well, happened. it did incredible things to the GPU industry. Mm-hmm. We're still recovering from that. There, there are trunk loads of, of dusty GPUs out there that can attest mm-hmm. to that. At uh, least yeah. at least six figures worth in Alan Malventano's garage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I was just thinking, like, because NVIDIA, because we were talking about the NVIDIA GPU as well that launched uh, Thanksgiving week, but we had with the 7.7, the crazy 7.7, 7 nanometer GPU, CPU launch back in July, when the 5700 series launched, it was too expensive. I was at the event at E3, and I honestly don't believe the whole debated thing. I really, I don't even fully understand it. But if you recall, they announced 449 and 379 as the prices. And I remember looking around, talking to people there, like, that's too expensive. And before they had done the official price reveal, they were fielding questions in one of the meetings. We had these breakout sessions and there were a couple of product team people in the room and they were like, oh, well, what have you heard? Because we were talking about pricing. And somebody said $399 and $349. And then two people looked at each other knowingly and then looked back and said, oh, where'd you hear that? Those prices sound really good. Like, <laughs> this, it was just kind of weird. It was like a, like, it was like dinner theater. Like, what is this? And then they announced the prices and then subsequently announced the price drop. So... I mean, I I, I, just, I don't even remember now if that's how it went. Like maybe when the prices were finally announced, they were lower like the next day at the actual E3 event. I don't recall, but they they dropped at some point. And then there was this ridiculous social media nonsense that happened afterwards from AMD about it. And basically saying that they forced NVIDIA, it was implied that they forced NVIDIA to launch their super cards at a little bit higher price than they would have if they'd known AMD's true pricing. So the whole thing was just ridiculous, but it, it's also worth noting on, on AMD's side of things that twice now they've had NVIDIA slip in a new product right before a product announcement from AMD, like literally within a week or so. So what the 7.7 launch was coming, everybody knew that. So NVIDIA released the super cards on the 2nd of, of July. So five days before, here's these much higher performing cards that are basically, uh, it was basically a price drop because the, the 2060 super was so close to a 2070 that it amounted to about a $100 price drop for that card. And then the 2070 super was pretty damn close to a 2080 but it was still at the 499 price point of the 2070 and the 2080 remained. Well, it didn't remain. They discontinued it, but that was a $699 card later to be replaced with the 2080 super. But that all that came out before the Radeon launch, then Radeon launches at a new lower price, which almost seemed like a reaction to NVIDIA launching the super cards. And since then, what we've seen is the price come down a little bit to where, you could actually buy a reference 5700 today for 2.99 and the prices on aftermarket cards range up to the 349 that they're now selling for so somewhere in that 3 to 320 dollar range you can buy one of these 5700 cards but there's been this big gap between their older polaris stuff and the 5700 and 5700 XT and I was glad to see the 5700 drop a little bit. It's come down $50 now since launch. But, you know, it's it, once again, this, this 5500 XT comes out. And just a few days before, NVIDIA dropped a new card, the 1650 Super. And 
it's they dropped it at a lower price point. So now AMD's card looks comparatively it's it looks a little weaker than it would have. I'm not saying it's weak, it's fine. It's a decent mainstream card. I gave it a gold award. Like it, it consumes a lot less power than those older cards. It's still providing up up to about the same level of performance. And I, I haven't tested overclocking headroom yet. That would be interesting to look at. But it's not a bad product by any means. But if 1650 Super didn't exist and we were comparing this against the 1650, it would just be blowing it away. And I'm sure NVIDIA knew that. So they had to come out with this product. They upstaged AMD again by releasing it a few days before AMD's product came out. But this time, there was no surprise price drop right before the launch. And it's still 169. Well, we've, we've got, there might be time here. Right. To, if, if they look at initial sales or they look at reception, you know, from reviewers. Yeah. But uh, I was pretty right. kind. I was, I thought I was being diplomatic and I didn't really bash the pricing. And I'm looking around online today and a lot of people were saying it was overpriced. Mm-hmm. Gamers Nexus was mocking it, calling it an RX 480. Like 2016 called, they want their GPU back. Like, I mean, that's pretty harsh. Consumes a lot less power. It's a more efficient product, but yeah, pricing is is the issue here. All right. Well, so uh, let's let's take a break here. I think Josh, you have to run, so we can uh, let you go now. Okay, I can run away. Thank you guys. Appreciate sure, your flexibility you, here. No, nope, so thank you. Have a good night. Yep. Take care, Josh. Uh, so we've basically been talking about it this whole time, but let's uh, as as we've alluded to or even explicitly said we had the 1650 super from nvidia launch just a couple days before the 5500 xt and sebastian has a full review of that and in that case uh it was an msi gaming x variant of the 1650 super and as we as i said we've seen the performance in the charts already for the 5500 xt but sebastian is there anything else that you want to say specifically about either the 1650 Super platform overall or this uh, specific MSI Gaming X card? Uh, I would just encourage people to look at the review. I mean, there's not a whole lot to this. The One of the things I, I noticed that's completely tangential to any of this is that this, for an MSI Gaming X, because I've got a growing collection of these now, all year we've been getting MSI cards at NVIDIA launches, and the Gaming X variant is their higher end. It has a factory overclock. They generally have things like RGB lighting, like addressable RGB lighting around the GPU and and backplates and just in general are a more premium product. And this is a Gaming X that's just kind of no frills, no backplate. So it's okay. I mean, there, I think you, you lose some of those extras when you're into this more budget territory. But really, as we alluded to, it's it just crushes the 1650 the original 1650 so soundly that it makes it seem like uh, it, it doesn't make any sense as a product anymore at 149. It could absolutely be a product to directly replace the old 1050 or even the, I mean, it's a little bit faster than a 1050 Ti, but it really should play in that hundred to $120 space. And it's just kind of weird to me to see a $10 price difference for a massive performance different difference like this. So of the super variants, is this the most dramatic between the initial baseline and the super? 
Edition. Is it the most super super? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. I, I thought the 1660 super was because for 229, you were literally, well, not literally, you were almost getting a 1660 Ti, mm-hmm. which is still a $279 card. It's so close, you might as well just call it a 1660 Ti. And that's, you're saving 50 bucks. And with this one, it's $10 more for, I would say, like 30% better performance. So okay. I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up between these. This In the 16 series, these were huge. I, I thought the RTX 2060 was the biggest, just because I thought it was a big deal that for 399 suddenly you were looking at an RTX 2070. Mm-hmm. It was actually a bigger deal to get a 2070 Super because you were getting a $700 GPU for $500 mm. at that point. That was a bigger you know, savings, but I don't know. We get, it it gets so compressed. We're down, we're down under 200 bucks now. So it's like every $10 matters a lot. And 1650 super is a, a very good, I guess we'll call it mainstream gaming card. You, you plug it in, you put in any game, any modern game at 1080 high settings, and it's going to play just fine. We're getting, I mean, it depends on the game. There are some games that are a lot more demanding than others, but you're going to be consistently getting, I'd say, 45 to 60 or more frames per second on average, even at high settings. And if you back it off a little bit, I literally have everything turned on high just to make things easier for myself. And like Red Dead Redemption 2, it does not default to everything being on high. Mm -hmm. And you probably wouldn't even notice if it wasn't. A lot of stuff is either medium and some of the things are ultra, but it's... Perfectly serviceable card, a good value at 159 if we even know what value is anymore. But it's just, it seems like this is a evolving segment where it had been pretty clearly defined for a while what you got for 150, what you got for one nine or like 175, one like 200. And now it seems like we're a $10 price cut away from the game changing again. All right, well, check out both those reviews, the 5500 XT and the 1650 Super. Sebastian has uh, all the charts and data and pictures at PCPro.com. So now we're going to take a uh, quick break to thank our sponsor this week. We'll be right back. The basics of your wardrobe, things like underwear, socks, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants are important. But for so many of us, we stock these categories with bulk sales from department stores. That may save a little money up front, but you end up with clothing that gives you an inconsistent fit, isn't as comfortable as it should be, and frankly, lacks quality and needs to be replaced regularly. Mack Weldon aims to change your wardrobe for the better by replacing these throwaway items with high-quality, smartly designed essentials that are easy to shop for, comfortable to wear, and long-lasting. In fact, Mack Weldon pledges that their products will be the best-looking and most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants you'll ever wear. Indeed, if you don't like your first pair of underwear, just let them know. You can keep the item, and you'll still be issued a full refund with no questions asked. Not only do Mack Weldon essentials look and feel good, they perform well, too. With features like custom-engineered and silver-infused breathable fabric, you'll find options that are naturally antimicrobial, adaptable for any season, and perfect for everything from working out to a day in the office to a long day of traveling. I've recently started adding Mack Weldon items to my wardrobe, and I was easily able to find the right fit and fabric for things like boxer briefs and athletic socks. 
But my favorite item so far is probably Mack Weldon's Ace Sweatpant, a super comfortable pair of pants with French terry fabric, a handy zipper pocket, and a tailored fit, making them great for lounging around editing PC per videos or even running errands around town. But we want you to try out Mack Weldon for yourself, and we have a special offer for our podcast audience. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and use discount code PCPER at checkout. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and discount code PCPER for 20% off your first order. Start upgrading your wardrobe today at MacWeldon.com. And we're back. Uh, let's move on to the news. We're going to stay with GPUs for a while here. And uh, uh, not not hardware, but drivers. Uh, AMD this week launched the latest version of its Adrenaline driver. I'm sorry, not Adrenaline. Uh, Radeon uh, driver suite. Uh, there, or it is Adrenaline. It's, it's it Radeon Adrenaline, yeah, adrenaline it's, it's, 2020. 2020. Yep. 2020. Yeah. Something, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, so there's some new features, as we talked about uh, briefly earlier. There's new integer scaling here uh, as well, uh, which is which is great. I know Sebastian likes that. Uh, but Jeremy, uh, tell us, what what else uh, can we expect from this new software, software and driver suite from uh, the Radeon group? Well, I mean, it's the new Steam, didn't you know? Uh, they've Everything's literally the bundled in all of your games. It will it will scan and detect all the various games you've got and allow you to just launch them direct from there. On the flip side, that also means that uh, Radeon Profiler, which you probably haven't really used much, uh, where you could actually set the various performance uh, settings per game, all of a sudden becomes a little more doable. But even still, if that's just a little bit too much for you, uh, they've just got a very simple user profile when you initially set it up. I, I just slapped it on my, uh, what is that, a 7950 over there. And so with literally the click of a button, you pick gamer, esports, or standard. And essentially what it does is, uh, so if you're a gamer, virtual super resolution is already on, uh, tessellation is AMD, uh, set to the AMD preferred and has no tops on it. If you're eSports, you don't need VSR. You can cap the tessellation at a certain point because, well, why are you using it? <laughs> and uh, then there's standard, which just essentially enables free sync and leaves everything else untouched. This will become interesting when we're coming up on reviewing uh, newer AMD cards because you're going to have to pay close attention to see which profile they did it on. Because obviously, you know, slapping a limit on tessellation at the driver level is going to change your results compared to one that hasn't. So hopefully everyone decides to do it with just the standard profile. There's a bunch of new things uh, along with turning it into the new Steam or Epic or Origin or whichever you like. Uh, AMD image sharpening, uh, which we've found quite nice, is now going to work in DX11 games, which is, you know, kind of nice. The anti-lag that uh, we've been playing with is now backwards compatible to DX9 on legacy GPUs, which makes more sense when you think about it, because older games are being played on older cards, so it's actually kind of nice to get that included in there. Uh, your integer, dis uh, integer display scaling, uh, as Josh was talking about, so that uh, you can you know, take two games and bring them up significantly sharper. 
and this is good for a lot of the esports stuff uh, and for people that you know are really excited about uh, Warcraft coming back again, or you know just people who like playing legacy stuff. The other thing is if you want to be showing this off to friends, uh, they've put in direct ML filters, so it'll essentially the click of a button sharpen and clean up any of the screenshots that you're making or if you've recorded a section of your gameplay and want to play it back it will make it look a little bit nicer get rid of some of the blurring and such and uh, amd link is totally updated so if you're one of the types that likes to stream and show people how you are when you're gaming it's baked right in even more so than it has been in the past uh the one last thing uh which is kind of interesting i, mean, I want to see how this works out it's something called Radeon Boost, which you can choose to enable or disable. And the idea is that it will, in real time, downscale the resolution of incredibly fast moving pictures. So when you're spinning around and you're not even seeing anything for that, especially if you've got motion blur and that on, the idea being that your eyes aren't going to see a difference in the image quality but at the same time, you're not going to see any falling behind uh, of the card for having to render a whole bunch of stuff very quickly and then try and catch up or seeing the actual speed of the game slow down as the, the GPU is desperately trying to catch up. And as you can see, it's not great for really pretty games like Rise of the Tomb Raider, but for stuff like Overwatch, where you're online and constantly moving around incredibly quickly, they're claiming some impressive boosts. So we're going to have to see how that plays out as we start benchmarking it. Cause uh, like we said, it just came out uh, yesterday. So it's haven't really had that much time. And uh, I haven't actually had a chance to use it yet. Cause Sebastian has all of my Radeon, all of the sites, AMD GPUs, but uh, oh, my, I, I, now it's my gym. Well, I guess you are the site <laughs> owner. So, uh, well, I guess, um, but uh, apparently there's a sound effect in the installer. It makes like a loud boom and some people had their speakers up and not expecting the installer to make oh, really? any noise. Okay. I saw Did not have any speakers connected when I installed yeah. it. No. Nope. The only thing on that machine was just a pair of headphones and I was not wearing them. So just, just a heads up. There might, there might be a, an unexpected sound effect that's quite loud. Uh, I've seen, but uh, otherwise, like the, you know, we, like sound? the one that you used at the beginning of the video last week. Um, wait, which one was that? The, the horn. Oh yeah, the the horns. Well, but that was that that, that had a purpose. I had to get your attention. <laughs> Maybe this is a purpose too. It, it well, it's, it's the the purpose is calling it's letting you attention. know. Get excited, get excited because Adrenaline Twenty Twenty is here. Integer scaling is here, people. Yes. When when Scott Watson, who yeah, if you remember, former editor in chief at Tech Report, mm -hmm. he was giving the presentation to us on the call. And he got to the interest scaling part. I'm just typing into the chat because you have a chat to ask questions. We were all muted. So I'm like, yes, interest scaling, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And he, he started looking down and he's just like, yeah, I'm excited too. But I at least got him to stop. I got him uh, distracted. But it's, I enabled well it. And I will say like, not, it's not just for legacy stuff. It's for like, you know, what DLSS tries to do. The thing that uh, Sapphire does with their tricks boost, where you literally just a combination of radion image scaling and uh, upsampling, where you actually render the game at a lower resolution like DLSS does, and then upscale it to your monitor's resolution and apply, uh, in the case of DLSS, it's it's applying AI 
magic to upscale it without appreciable quality loss, which is debatable, of course. And then in the case of what uh, Sapphire does with Trix Boost, they just render it at a lower resolution, upscale it, use Radeon image sharpening along the way to make it look better before it's output to your monitor's native resolution. So frame rates are a lot higher and it doesn't look that bad, really. It's very close, especially like if, you know, things in motion, you don't notice it as much as you would in a screenshot. But with integer scaling, I was running 1080p game testing on a just a native 2565-1440 panel. And normally that's a blurry mess. It's an interpolated, blurry, smeared mess. I hate looking at it, but my monitor does not have that like one-to-one pixel scaling option where you just get like a, a little centered image. So I have to look at this full blurry screen when I'm using any non-native resolution on any of these monitors here. And you check the integer scaling option and it just instantly looked a little bit clearer, a little bit sharper, even running 1080 on a 1440 monitor for some benchmarking. So I, I noticed that text was clearer in the menus. Just it, it does make a big difference. I have no idea if there's any kind of overhead or performance impact to this whatsoever to use the GPU scaling versus your monitor scaling. So I didn't enable this for any of the benchmarks I just ran. But they, they, claim, my... they claim no performance yet. Okay. Yeah, well, we can, we can test yeah. that. It, it, I would always leave it on. Like, I, I loved the way it looked. I tried it just briefly after NVIDIA added it. And now that AMD has it too, I'm like, this is great. It is, mm-hmm. Everybody should have integer scaling. And of course, Intel even has integer scaling, but you have to get the Gen 11 graphics for that. That That is true. Yeah. But good to see all three graphics op- or companies, solutions having an option there now. Um, <sighs> Finally. Yeah. And, and the continued evolution of AMD's uh, software and drivers. Uh, you know, and NVIDIA had, they, they kind of were the, controversially at times, but they, they offered the most comprehensive driver and software solution for a long time. And AMD uh, with Adrenaline and has, has, over the last couple of years, brought a lot of features in, brought a lot of performance improvements in. And we're seeing Intel now too, as they prep for their discrete graphics solutions, mm-hmm. really paying attention to yeah. software and drivers. So that's, and I guess that's not great. so surprisingly, the Intel side looks quite a bit like what AMD is currently doing, but you know. Yeah, it does. It does. Some of the team has gone over to Intel, so that's not a huge surprise. But it, I think the adrenaline stuff is at this point, and I haven't used, I haven't drilled down into settings and stuff in the NVIDIA drivers in a while. I don't ever enforce experience for any of these systems. I just install the driver. It's still... It, it looks a little dated going around in there. Some of the settings, I know that they've, they've made some adjustments because in response to things like Radeon anti-lag, they were making it a little bit more obvious how to go in and enable uh, that feature in their software. But running the Radeon stuff, it's, it's really made for like a beginner. You could have never used graphics software before. You go in, you click on like display global settings, and then there's these big check boxes you just click on to turn things on or off, like turning off, turning on integer scaling, for example. It's just a big clear switch. And it it it's very intuitive. And I think that it's a really polished, slick looking application. So that coupled with the fact that AMD has been releasing uh drivers at the same cadence that NVIDIA has all year. We get the 
the email is like new uh, GeForce driver, and then there's also a new Radeon driver, like the game one new game releases. So I, it's it seems almost like it's at parity now, and we've seen some little issues here and there from both companies. It seems like the ones that get more publicity are maybe Nvidia's, and of course they will offer a hot fix usually within a day or two, but. Uh, the support for desktop graphics from AMD seems to be very good now. Um, let's uh, move on to the next news story. We've got some uh, news from Intel. As we know, uh, they've been struggling with supply issues. They've been struggling with with just production development issues. Uh, and uh, so one, one option, and I'm going to preface this by saying this is probably not going to be the uh, a solution that we're going to care about as enthusiasts. This is not something they're going to be targeting at the DIY market. This is going to be a, a product that is going into like the high volume business stuff. And what we're talking about, of course, is is the uh, continued production of Haswell-based uh, Pentium processors. And uh, tell us, Jeremy, what's what's going on with this and in Intel? Yeah, the, the, the G3420 uh, is going to continue to be made and sold. And I don't know how to feel about that, because if they were going to try and sell that to me in a business computer, I would probably throw it at them. <laughs> it's, it's, it, well, most business users aren't going to even know. I mean, they're not they're never going to open their computer. They don't care. Um, fair, but they rely on somebody to be purchasing the, the Sears model of machines. Sure, sure. Okay, so, yeah. we can we can be as diplomatic as we want about this, but ultimately, I think because they they obviously have they have produced Skylake based low power low cost Pentium parts, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So at this point, offering a Haswell part when Skylake is three years old, I mean, I, maybe you don't know what's under the hood, but why? If I'm in an IT department, why? what I want to put fourth generation core technology into somebody's new desktop. Because Intel when, can ship this to you next week, next I, week. I know that's the problem. By procurement, you're not allowed to get Ryzen based. Yeah. They're, right. You can't get Ryzen, but we don't have any Skylake for you. So here's Haswell. We got these yeah. boxes in the back. You might like mate. Here, just let it break them out for you. Yep. 22 now, nanometer. I would get one of these for 20 bucks, but if this is still going to be slotted in at the like 40 to 60 dollar price point that they've had these yeah. like business oriented Pentiums at, then that would be ridiculous. Yeah. It's, I'd like to see the, I guess I'll have to look at the trade price of this thing. But I mean, that's because it's an Intel interesting right now, solution to a bizarre problem. So yes. they, it's probably the thing that they had sitting around that they're like, you know what? What can we ship in bulk? Mm hmm. Well, I got those. Is 22 nanometers still up and running? Yeah. yeah. Well, must be somewhere. Because I know they, they, they'd gone back to 22 nanometer for at least one of their like uh, lesser chipsets. I know that was a big news earlier in the year, or maybe late last yeah. year. And I, I don't know. That Haswell was a long time ago. I had a Haswell system so when I first started writing articles for PC Per. Yeah, but I mean, because you look at as Jeremy was saying, Intel's got they got two major problems in the desktop right now. They're they're being outperformed. They just on a pure performance technology basis, AMD is outperforming them, and it looks like that's going to continue for at least another year. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, well, continue in the sense that AMD has a great roadmap right now, whereas Intel's kind of stalled for 12 months at least. Uh, and then on the other side of that, uh, there's just the supply. Like we've seen hardware manufacturers, we've seen like or hardware OEMs like Dell, HP, publicly blaming their lower uh, performance on their lack of ability to acquire Intel chips. So, you know, so we've, and so it's not just consumers, it's the big OEMs. They're saying, Hey, our, our revenues down this quarter because Intel couldn't fulfill all of our demand. So couldn't, what can you do? Couldn't this have been spun a little bit better instead of saying we're going to like, was this an announcement or did somebody just find this, this somebody, has real I, news? I think somebody found it, but then Intel did comment on it. Um, okay. Yeah, no, Intel if they definitely had, commented on it. Yeah. If they had just spun it as we're offering a highly optimized uh, variant of one of our most popular products from the past for, you know, specifically for whatever application, like business, uh, industrial, whatever, it would probably sound a lot better, rebrand it, give it a new name so it doesn't have a 4000 series product name. Yeah, but, but that would last about five minutes and then somebody would figure out yeah. exactly what it was and then there'd be another PR black eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to say, look, we, we don't need anything better than 22 nanometer for this application. There's no appreciable benefit to it. Okay. But what does that say about your Skylake architecture then? Uh, mm. And since since then, it's very we've had, rare. What the rarefy? Yeah. We've had these refinements to Skylake. Because remember, Skylake was sixth gen. So then we had Cabby Lake. Yep. And that was seventh gen, but it was just sort of an optimized version of Skylake. And then we had uh, Coffee Lake, which was just another refresh yep. of Skylake again. And then the ninth gen is again just another refresh, higher clock speeds. They offered some different configurations of higher core counts. But I don't and, know. Well, it's... Comet Lake is not going to be any different. Mm-hmm. No, There's... but at least that has higher core counts. And they're, I mean, we can talk about security yeah. and hyper threading, but they are going to be offering hyper threading across the board, it sounds like. Like Core i5's six core hyper threaded part, which, you yeah. know, just a year or so ago, that was an i7-8700K. Mm-hmm. So competition. Yeah, and you wouldn't see a, a 10 core uh, in the i7s or oh, i9s. No. No, and that's going to be desktop, desktop 10 core 20 thread mm-hmm. in probably in early 2020, which is exciting. You can just, if you don't care about processor architecture, then if you're just looking at the clock speed and the core count, it's going to be exciting to see the same PCs shipping with what looked to be much faster CPUs or going to retail and saying, how much can $300 buy me? Oh, well, on AMD side, I can get an eight core part. And then for a little bit more, uh, I can get this Intel part that has 10 cores. And if they're smart, they'll bridge the gap between what AMD has at eight cores and what AMD offers at 12 cores. So I would expect And if they're really smart, they'll chop the motherboard prices. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, that's maybe. really what... Well, that's can't what undercut them on Ryzen. Let's undercut them on the 480. Or the 580. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a horrible idea. But that'll be you say April or May next year before we really know for sure. Although the rumors are going to be spreading anytime now. There's uh what's the saying? There's no bad products. There's just bad price points. Yeah, there you go. Although I guess there, I probably, love Haswell. There are probably objectively bad products out there, but yeah. Um, yeah. So and that's, if it, you know, Intel's got a, they got, we've seen with 
the highest end AMD parts this generation, the 3950X, the Threadrippers that we've seen so far, uh, if you can find one, I mean, that's, that's AMD's big issue is availability. But if you can find them, Intel has no answer. There are some workloads, AVX 512 stuff, obviously, that, that yeah, sure, you go there, but that's highly specialized for the majority of consumers. AMD's your best bet. And Intel has already started that price war with HDT and Cascade Lake X, and they're going to have to continue it more aggressively in the mainstream desktop. I thought it was really interesting to look from an historical perspective at that interview that Josh did and uh, with, it's Crewell, right? I always look at the the last name and (laughs) I think it's cool. Crewell, Kevin Crewell. And he was talking about AMD when they were at this point where they had acquired ATI, they didn't have they couldn't manage as much debt as they were trying to leverage and they just had to spin off their fab and it became global foundries. And it took them a while because their next architecture was a failure. Bulldozer was a failure. And moving on when they came out with Zen, like to completely turn the CPU side of the company around took time, obviously, but it seems like they can be more focused on design and work with their partner at TSMC to get the products realized and work with them on, on hitting the clocks that they want and and working on yields with them, with their partner, instead of what Intel is doing. They have the design, but they have not been able to build up their 10 nanometer production to any kind of scale, To and they are not getting the performance they would like out of it. I'm sure they could release 10 nanometer products right now at like two gigahertz. No problem. The problem is if you don't have a, much of an IPC gain and the clocks are lower, then how can you release, like we're talking about desktop here, how would you release a desktop part with lower performance than last generation? So they need easier clocks. Well, I mean, yeah, but they, they have a Haswell again. <laughs> I mean, it really hasn't gone anywhere. But you know, you know, it's it's like Jim was saying, their hands are tied right now. They're trying to get 10, 10 nanometer going and they're already up to 10 plus now but it's not in any volume how is it that this transition from 14 to 10 is now on generation 2 10 nanometer the 10 plus and they're talking 10 plus plus next year uh, on any roadmaps that we've we're seeing now that was one of the big points of discussion this last week was this intel roadmap where they're like you know what we're getting aggressive and every two year two year cadence now it's going to be uh, seven down to five down to three and one and a half. Like, where is this coming from? A company that cannot get 10 nanometer going is, is showing partners that every two years, we're going to make that big generational leap. The TikTok yeah. is back. It seems it's people like being lied to nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> it was another moment from that Crewell interview and you've got to watch that. That's great. I've watched it twice already and I love computer history anyway. So I'm just like listening to it and catching things I missed the first time. But when he was talking about, as an analyst, being in an analyst meeting with Intel years ago in the Pentium 4 era, and they had reached four gigahertz, and they were telling these analysts in the room, we're going to be at six gigahertz. And I think he told them he was either going to be in one year or the next two years. And Kevin was just like, no, you're not. And he was arguing with them. Like, no, yes, we are. I was like, no, you're not. And of course, they weren't. Mm -hmm. It's great to say that you could have. They abandoned that architecture. And he talks about, you know, where the core architecture came from. And it was a, a different team that had developed that and basically saved them because 
it was a dead end architecture. It was too hot and it didn't scale properly. Like the, you could throw more gigahertz at it, but it still was underperforming. And think about how impressive the performance of of uh, the Athlon XP was at that time. Mm. So, I it just seems preposterous to me to think that they're going to be they're completely right the ship and get right back on course, and then every two years we're going to have another generational leap like that. Yeah. Who knows? Well, maybe. maybe and I'll say, the I mean, I'm going to say this knowing that this is a contentious issue amongst part of the community, but I mean, I hope they do. I do not want AMD to become the dominant only option for high performance desktop processors. I don't want any single company to do that because while nope. you can argue that maybe AMD's leadership, especially right now, wouldn't play dirty like Intel has done in the past, um, you don't you don't want a monopoly. You want you want them at each other's throats beating the crap out of each other to win our dollars because that's when yep. we that's when we win it was funny too another line i heard from the kevin interview kevin Crewell, uh was uh that and it was funny because he said well the marketing between these two companies back you know 20 years ago man we're, we're right now we're in a kindler gentler era of competition i think was the quote <laughs> it was like oh wow he geez. said the gloves were always off back then yeah like it was oh, God, yeah. pretty ugly, but and so, you know, I wasn't around in perspective. For that. Yeah. But, Sabotaging uh, each other's product launches or even just events. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, he was talking to like they had a second source agreement with IBM. So, IBM, yeah. you know, they'd get their processors from Intel. But if the demand ever spiked, they could also get x86 chips from AMD. And Intel went to IBM and said, uh, Hey, uh, if you go to AMD, we're going to jack it. We're going we're to get rid of your rebates. You know, we're going to jack up your prices. Yep. And so even though they had this this monumental agreement that was so significant when it was uh, signed, they never, according to Kevin, they never shipped anything to IBM because yeah. Intel just bullied them right out of that opportunity. So just Which I think very, was a shocking moment for Intel realizing, wait a second, we can bully around IBM. Mm -hmm. yeah. Holy crap, let's see what else we can AMD do. AMD has never and been in an IBM system. That's, no. there you go. Um, so, well, let's, 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 this is good timing. Another Intel security <laughs> vulnerability. Okay. So, yeah. They asked um, us not to talk about this, but we're going to do it anyway. Yes. Uh, they, they paid us, but not enough. Um, yeah. uh, so Jeremy bounce now. I might have been tormenting one of the people we weren't just talking about in the chat as well on this. Ah. Well, but yeah. Uh, so Intel software guard extensions are a thing you probably don't use. Uh, they are great if you happen to be running an AWS server or have as you are going. And the idea is that these are baked into the silicon uh, more, well, sort of, uh, they're actually a, a, a side chip uh, on the same substrate. Uh, but the idea is that even if someone gets a hold of admin credentials they should not be able to make any irreversible changes to uh your operating system unfortunately just like uh cable cards back in the good old days if you undervolt them you can flip bits to the point where all of a sudden you are now sitting in what should be an invulnerable and secure place uh which is the sgx and Although you can't really modify anything at this point, although that's not to say it's not theoretically impossible, it does allow you, if you're sitting on the same network section or at least in between uh, the machine and an exit point, 
to be able to feed in certain bits of code into the TCP IP stream to direct them to a page of your choice, like say maybe their favorite banking site, except not quite. So it, it's a little bit worrisome. Uh, it was, as is tradition, announced after the patch was made available. Uh, there are a bunch of BIOS patches which are available on Intel and are being easily, it's it's not so much uh, microcode. One of them is a bit of a firmware one, but it, it's not as dangerous as some of the ones that we've seen. And it's not going to have the same impact as some of the Meltdown Inspector vec, uh, patches that we've seen. In this case, it, it's just making it so that if it'll probably address uh, an improperly low voltage and not start throwing out errors, but instead just stop and say, you know, naughty, naughty, let's, let's not do that. I don't want to be touched there. So not horrible, but a great name because you got to like Thunderbolt. Mm -hmm. confusing, with, confusing with some other, other product names, uh, their brand names. Yeah, it's not a connection interface. It's a VDRU vulnerability Sort of thing. Not exactly. It's it's not the same as Vdroop. Yeah. Yell at me if you want, but it was a good joke. All right, and uh, we but we mentioned this. I think it was last week. There's a, a game that Jeremy was very much looking forward to, Mech Warrior Five, but apparently launch has not gone well. I'm more than a little bit pissed off at this. Now, I will start out with the full disclosure of it's been a hell of a lot of time since I have played a Mech game. And my joystick muscles are a little bit, you know, out of shape. And to be honest, my 14-year-old uh, Logitech 3D Pro Extreme might need a little bit of cleaning. That said, that may explain how I'm not doing so well. It doesn't explain why every time I t want, because you, you switch between driving your mech and then walking around in your jump drop ship in between missions. So if you click Invert Mouse it inverts the joystick and you tell it to not invert the Y axis on the joystick. It turns it off on the mouse. There are a shitload of controls, which are simply not mappable to a joystick or a HOTAS. They, they, they're just not on the fricking list. If you do anything other than windowed full screen with uh, a multi-monitor setup, you are now full screened on one monitor and unable to interface with anything except doing it. They did the, the most wonderful thing, which is that all of your save games and the INIs that you want to fix are dumped under app data local, because that's where you look first for editing INIs. It's night, oh, and every once in a while, I'll just be piloting the mech and I'll hit escape because I got to go do something and come back. And all of a sudden, the sensitivity of every single axis of my joystick has been set to zero, up to and including the throttle. So it doesn't matter how hard you push in any direction, nothing happens whatsoever. I, I think it's pissy because it, it shows off in the tutorial when you're trying to do it. It's like, push this button to move forward. So you walk around a bit for the joystick and it sits there patiently waiting for you to push the button instructed you to push. So for a PC-only game, it strikes me as having a serious case of consoleitis. And, and this isn't even going into the, uh, we, we've got big monitors, you can give us more information than just the basics that you would be expecting to be interfacing with with a console on your X-Bone. It's 
patchable. And to be honest, Piranha has addressed some of these concerns by, for instance, telling everyone, oh no, you look under app data local, that's where we put your stuff. And some rough guides on how to map some of the commands to your joystick buttons. Uh, because I mean, in my case, I've probably got uh, 14 uh, buttons all told, but if you've got a proper HOTAS layout, you're several dozen uh, with bells and toggles and whistles and all, all the fun stuff. And at this point, I have no idea about foot pedals. I, I really do not know if you could actually make them work or not. So I was really looking forward to it. And I'm just sort of a little bit frustrated in how they developed it and put it together. There's some major bugs that are probably fixable uh, with a couple of patches and a, a little bit of the overview. But as far as the game goes, it's fun. You don't feel like you're in a 3D first-person shooter. You feel like you are piloting a giant Earth mech. And there's different weapon loadouts. Uh, and you can choose different weapon chains so that you're only firing some of your stuff at, at a certain time. So that's fun. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I'm a wee bit disappointed in how they developed it. Because obviously they're looking at porting it to the Switch soon. Uh, but... It'd be nice, guys, if it's a PC first launch, make the console people suffer. I'm still not bitter about Red Dead Redemption because, well, that was console first. Quite console first, yeah. And quite frustrating for me to play. Mm. Well, speaking of uh, mechs, uh, is there something walking around outside your building? We're getting some like low-frequency rumble through your... Uh, I think my neighbor, is, uh, his kid, has decided to come home and use the sound bar up there. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Because there is definitely thump, 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 thump. Well, Christmas is coming up. Get him an isolator pad for a subwoofer. I think I might. <laughs> um, well, and uh, as you talked about, you know, consoles, uh, ruining it for the rest of us on PC, but uh, it looks like some interesting stuff coming from Microsoft. Now, we know that they've been talking about their next big Xbox, the codename Project Scarlet. And at the Game Awards show just this evening, just a few hours ago, they came out oh, and, yes. and revealed the hardware. Phil Spencer was on stage there. And uh, see if I can get this going. Uh, they uh, revealed what the uh, presumably the final hardware will be. And it's an, probably the most unusual console design we've seen ever. Uh, it's like a like a very, it's a, a square form factor, but a tall tower. And, so uh, Silverstone had a lot of overstock? Uh, it was Silverstone, NZXT, you know, there's a number of companies who've had products yeah. either out or coming up in this form factor. Uh, so very interesting. And of course, also, they've they've given it an official name. If you thought that the nonsense of the X's and S's and all that was going away, sorry, this will be the Xbox uh, Series X. And I guess that's going to be the most powerful model. I don't know how they're going to deal with with presumably the the less powerful but if it's run by cyrix how can it be that powerful sure sure well this was an s not a c but oh, uh not xbox cyrix but yeah it's just a, it's a very uh it's an interesting looking design uh, we knew that they were they didn't they lost out in the performance battle last generation really not let but at the initial xbox launch they lost to the ps4 on performance that was a big a big black eye it resulted in the firing of Don Matrick, the Xbox chief at that point, and then Phil came in here, and he's, I think, done an incredible job uh, based on what he was given, kind of doing what he could with this architecture. And so now that we're about to launch the next major revision of these consoles, they it's pretty clear they do not want to lose on performance next time. 
both this and the PS5 will be based on the same basic AMD architecture, um, but they've talked about doing custom vapor cooling and uh, NVMe SSDs potentially, and and uh, uh, you know some some things to really uh, maximize performance there. So interesting. We'll we'll see uh, how this this all shakes out as more information comes out. It's not shipping till uh, holiday 2020, and uh, and even though it is an unusual form factor. You can see in the pictures here, if you look at it, it, there's a controller next to it. So it's not super tall. It's not as tall as a ATX size PC case, a little bit shorter, yeah, but it's like still. A, it's like a mini case. It's a, a little yeah, bit Yeah, it would be like a mini ITX, ATX kind of style build. Yeah. Um, and I'm almost sure like we'll it's see, a PC, you know? Yeah, almost. Uh, I'm sure we'll see uh, cases come out that are nearly oh. identical in design mm. and you can build your own Xbox killer mm. PC. Um, all right, do you guys, do you guys want? We don't have it on the show notes. Did you want to talk at all about the Mac Pro? Because I saw some people talking about it in the chat. Talked about it on Twitch a little bit today, and it's go ahead. You can go ahead, Jeremy. To, to be perfectly honest, because I am going to mock it mercilessly for a while. Uh, if you are looking for a, an insanely powerful workstation and are used to paying seventy, eighty thousand dollars to Dell or Cray or someone. It's actually a good deal at 50k. If you're anyone who has never shopped for a hundred thousand dollar system and bargain them down to seventy or eighty thousand dollars, then I will laugh at you for looking at it. Because yeah, when it's... you pump everything up and you buy the wheels, uh, the wheels are a four thousand dollar extra, by the way. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> because <laughs> Apple, you are happily over 50k for four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars. Yeah, oh, sorry, four hundred. Yes. How dare I? Uh, They're nuts. Exaggerate. They're not that nuts. I. But literally, if that's the kind of thing that you do, and you need to upscale and process four K video to eight K video in faster than real time, well, you know this will do it for you. If you have no idea what I just said, well, then don't even buy the five thousand dollar model for crying out loud. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I, I was looking at server supply today, and those DIMMs, because that's twenty nine thirty three. I don't know what the cast latency is, but the cheapest, highest cast latency twenty nine thirty three at server supply was fifteen hundred dollars a stick for the one hundred twenty eight gigabyte yeah. sticks. So there's twelve of them, right? Is it twelve in the highest configuration? Up, yeah, yeah, up to twelve. And use a removable, shockingly enough. Yeah, yes. they're Apple's charging twenty five thousand dollars for that memory upgrade. Mm-hmm. That's that's where this crazy fifty three thousand dollars configuration comes from. But it would still cost you like eighteen or nineteen thousand yourself to just buy the DIMMs. So, yeah, they have a markup, and yeah, it's, it's exacerbated over twelve DIMMs. But I will say, in their defense, they're only charging like a five or six thousand dollar markup on RAM, which for them, in the past, you'd expect to pay at least double. For memory well, upgrades yes. from Apple. They were real bad a few years ago. They got better uh, to the point where on some of the systems, the memory was almost retail, almost retail value in terms of, or almost, you know, go out and buy it yourself value with the difference being you're not getting the value of the RAM that would have come in the baseline configuration. So that oh, was exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and then they've, so then they got good for a few years and now they're starting to creep back up a little bit. Uh, the one thing you can defend this for, though, is that it it is, as Jeremy said, it's modular, it's upgradable. 
You don't have to go with all the RAM up front. You don't have to go with their GPUs. So like the GPU, the initial uh, or the baseline GPU is a pretty pathetic considering the system 580X, Radeon yeah. yes. 580X, <laughs> eight gigabyte. Which you can get in an iMac right you can, now. You can like get more than that in an same... iMac, I think. Um, What's that? I think, oh yeah, if you go iMac a, Pro. Yeah. But, or do uh, the Vega option. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a Vega Vega upgrade, but uh, you go from that baseline to the next lowest option would be the the Pro Vega Two, which is a much more interesting card, custom mm -hmm. card from from Apple and, and AMD. That's twenty four hundred dollars right there for one of those. But you don't have to do that, and and also not only do you not have to do that, you don't have to use these MPX special cards. You can put your own GPUs in there. There's uh, some headers for some PCI power cables. I think you got to buy the the cables, but you can add your own GPU without having to use theirs. And uh, storage is, is more limited. There's some SATA ports on the inside and there's some products already out on the market that are giving you uh, some upgrade options there. But the, yeah, the one thing is if you, if you don't want to put all this money into it, you can, you can kind of do it over time. And that's something you cannot say about their other products than like the iMac pro, which is all, you got to buy what you need right out of the box. And unless you're willing to do a very, costly expensive dis disassembly of the system to potentially replace something um the imac pro doesn't make any sense to me anymore they they released the imac pro during a time when the uh, the mac pro hadn't been updated since 2013 it was a joke mm -hmm. and they were still charging three thousand dollars for the base model and or maybe it was 2500 no it might still be three thousand regardless imac pro comes out and then the next generation of 5k imax was faster so it's just like yeah, it's got Xeons and it has ECC memory, and that's about the only difference. But you could get the Core i9-9900K in the higher-end 5K iMac shipping this year and be faster than the first generation of iMac Pro. So it's just... And, mm -hmm. and like Jim is saying, like if you if you can't upgrade it, then how is this a great uh, choice for a professional application? Like, And we're not the market for this. Like People listening to this podcast are probably not the people who specifically seek out a Mac Pro because they are Final Cut users. So movie production studios that use Mac Pros because they use Final Cut that don't mess around with Hackintosh or anything and they're buying from Apple. This is a big deal because what's $6,000 when you're talking about outfitting a studio? And Well, $6,000, I mean, well, I would not... The I would, I would, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the thousand will get you the monitor here. that comes with it, and maybe the vest yeah. amount. Yeah, the, so don't this, clean it. Don't clean it with it with your own cloth. You got to use the special cloth to clean the monitor. Yeah. This, to me, the bigger story about this is that this is the vehicle for the afterburner card. Mm -hmm. What True. nothing else is using that. If you go out and price, uh, high end capture cards for like four K and above content, they're expensive. You can spend a thousand dollars for a single stream. And I don't know what the exact spec is on how many streams it can concurrently support of like ProRes coming in. But if you're able to do multi-stream and take that off of the CPU and it's a $2,000 card, that sounds outrageous. This is a professional tool at that point. It's just like, mm -hmm. well, this goes along with my whatever camera and now I'm able to do multi-stream and this is my final cut machine. And you know, at that point, you're just at the mercy of whatever the budget for the for that production was, whether you can afford one of these workstations or not. But it's absolutely 
ridiculous from the standpoint of a high-end desktop for a user who could choose their own operating system. I would still love it if Apple licensed Mac OS or allowed people to install it. They didn't have it locked down the way that they do. And honestly, with every release of Mac OS, because there is an iMac in my house, like the family computer here for many years, my wife prefers Apple. We have an iMac in the upstairs that is like the family computer. And I have all the PC stuff down here. And every version of Mac OS that comes out, gets more locked down, more restrictive, things are taken away. And I just think it's it's just sucks. Like I I last used a Mac full time, I think maybe before El Capitan came out. I maybe Mavericks. I used a Mac from like Tiger to maybe Snow Leopard full time. I had a, I had a MacBook Pro uh in the Snow Leopard era that I used. And looking at it now like the fact that they've just made the decision you can't run 32-bit code like no just it's just locked down the fact that they got rid of itunes you're losing more and more control over your own operating system experience almost like you're running windows 10 so where's the huge advantage there there's feature parity across the board between operating systems on different platforms it really comes down to whether or not the software you want to run can run on the OS of your choice and you can make Linux work for 99.9% of the stuff you'd ever want to do. Unfortunately, there's this behemoth called Adobe where if you're stuck in Adobe creative cloud hell, where you need to use their applications, they do not support Linux. Then you've got to choose either Mac or windows. And we use creative cloud. A lot of people do obviously. So either you're on the, the Apple only final cut, uh, you know, Island, or maybe you can use Adobe apps, which are cross-platform and run great on Windows. But then, you know, I, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I feel a lot of anger. It is it, it is a, a, an unusual situation. And I saw like uh, Mac Rumors, obviously an Apple-focused site. When this pricing came out, people were defending it. And I saw some people, like as you said, if you're Final Cut, and I used to use Final Cut, I still do prefer Final Cut, but my Mac died and I'm not paying to go down that road again. So I switched to Premiere, but there were people saying, defending it, saying we use this, but we use Premiere or we use uh, Avid. We use like multi tools that are available on Windows. And you're so you're paying a lot of money. You're not getting the afterburner uh, benefits un until and unless they add third third party support for, I mean, there's a third party at API. You're really good at MS Paint, mate. Sure, or with MS Paint or 3D Paint. Well, I mean, if you're gonna go special, yeah but like this is a very um awkward path that apple's going down with their restrictive operating system with the looming threat of switching to arm which will further restrict things on their mobile processors and potentially low-end desktop so we'll see and of course too we have to look to see if apple's actually going to update this when they announced that that trash can mac pro in 2013 and i bought one so i was using final Still cut one running in the office today yeah uh it, you know, Phil Schiller came out and very uh, uh, infamously, you know, proudly looked at this thing and said, yeah, we can't innovate my ass, huh? Well, yeah, you can't, Phil, because it was a piece of shit that had really bad thermal management and you never upgraded it. And we're selling the same V2 Xeon and AMD D300 GPUs six years later. And that, I mean, you, they could have done something if they had continued to, to add additional processor options as new technologies came out 
tweak the thermal uh, cooling system, there could have been something there. So now they've got it. They spent years. This, this is this was first teased over two years ago, and it's finally here. They've got to upgrade this thing because again, we most people probably don't need it at all. But for those who do, if they let this thing languish and we're running these uh, Xeon W chips for five years, man, that's that would suck because <laughs> there's no like I say, they're still run running in the office to this day. Yeah. But anyway, let's uh, let's wrap that up and uh, uh, jump into the picks of the week. I've got one to start off here. Um, it's the uh, the GOG.com winter sale. Obviously, GOG, yeah. Steam, Origin, they've all got these frequent sales. But this one came out, uh, it's, it's running from, uh, from now until January 2nd. And if you're a live viewer, I don't think this is still going to be running for the on-demand folks. But if you're watching live, head over there right now. You've got about 10 hours and 45 minutes left as of 11.30 p.m. Eastern time on the 12th. Um, so you can get Wasteland 2 for free. You have to have an account at GOG, but you click the button, you log in, you click the button, you get an email about two minutes later. There's no strings attached, just like several of the other games they've given away for free. Uh, so if you're interested in that, uh, in Wasteland, which is a Fallout-inspired uh, type, well, actually, the original Wasteland-inspired Fallout, and then you got Wasteland 2 here. Uh, so it's, it's a, a pretty well-received game, and you can get it for free for the next 10 hours so head over there. But then while the sale goes on until January 2nd, um, you know, lots of, of good deals. Some of the, you can see cer certain publishers aren't discounting as much, you know, 10%, 25%. But then there's some some pretty steep discounts on some good games as well. So check that out over at GOG.com. All right, Jeremy, you've got uh, something for us. <laughs> yeah. If, if there's someone on your Christmas list that you absolutely despise or feel that stalking is amusing get them a ring these things are great so not only as you all know uh there's hundreds of police departments of secretly well not so secretly anymore uh but signed uh, an agreement to be able to get a hold of ring data for at least a couple of months if not in perpetuity well the the verge realized that with the neighbor app that comes with the ring they can do the exact same thing themselves oh sorry it was gizmodo uh, i take it back uh but so gizmodo did the exact same buddy thing just as uh, a normal user with, with their their neighbor app and could essentially track just about anyone in the vast majority of cases the geographic data that they were given was exactly the location of the ring in other cases it was within the block but seeing as how it's a video doorbell it's not that hard to figure out which one it is and to map them all out and then just to rub the point in some dickhead hacked into one and convinced this poor little eight-year-old girl in Tennessee that he was Santa Claus and that she needed to destroy her room. And, uh, well, obviously she's not going to argue with Santa. So, <laughs> seriously, if you are thinking about getting one of these, don't do it for anyone you like. Do it for people you really, really don't. Yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. And yeah, I mean, this is the kind of the, the, the debate with privacy and with, 
data. Just it, it, there, there are, there are in, theoretically, there's a good use for this kind of stuff. Like the whole, na- the whole, the whole public premise of the neighbor's setup is, hey, you know, my house got broken into. Did your camera catch anything? Uh, or in, in like, I, you know, when you use Google maps, it shows you real time traffic based on other Google maps users. And that's very handy because I've found Google maps to be incredibly accurate about routes and timing and stuff. But when you let that data aggregate and you you let someone else, whether it's a a marketing company or a government or policing body, uh, take that data and then access it without any type of safeguards, any type of checks, it's it's no good. It's no good. And also, I mean, I do, I am a little wary of the, I saw the, I think it made like mainstream news, the hacking with the little girl in the ring. The, the I didn't, I don't know if you saw Jeremy, did, did they explain how he, did he actually hack it? Or was this a case, yet another case where they don't change the default credentials for the account? Um, I believe that is the definition of hacking for internet of shit devices. Okay, because you but, don't have to, and chances are that they, they were probably I, like essentially the spokesperson came on and said, "Well, you're supposed to set up a two-factor authentication, mm-hmm. and that way this sort of thing's less likely to happen." I think he yeah. said can't, but you know, less likely. It, it, so well, yes, sure. you you do change your buddy password, people, but at the same time. Give it another six months, and we'll find out that there's a hard-coded backdoor password in there that you can't change. Yes, so that is the risk. Jeremy, there's always... You're asking a lot of people. When you, I when know. you are of the people and you see that it's an event to remember the Wi-Fi password, they have to find the notebook they wrote it in on the shelf and go to the back page with all the pencil scrawl of all their passwords for everything. And like, okay, it's the Wi-Fi password is, and they're literally just reading off some long string that's printed on the bottom of the router that they got from their service provider. And that's never going to be changed. And whatever the default credentials are to get into that router as the admin will never be changed. And just getting their new device they got online is a big deal. Like, oh, okay, it's, it's connected now. I can, I can see it on my phone now. It, they're not going to do anything beyond that. So this well, yeah, stuff will. Is, is never They'll going to get better. realize this is unless... too hard for them to figure out. And they will go out and they will buy another wireless router to stick between the wireless router provided by the ISP and their <laughs> own, whose oh, password yeah, is yep. blank or admin, admin, admin. or default. Yep. And hey, that's much easier to remember. Mm-hmm. True. I have or seen you're... it. You're like my my neighbor too, who's his, his, the hint for the password is the Wi-Fi SSID. Bengals oh, yeah. quarterback, very popular. Bengals quarterback yeah. is the SSID, and then I was one day I was like, wait a minute, oh, okay. <laughs> password Dalton, and then probably his jersey number, right? No, it was just Dalton. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, you want him to remember the jersey number? I know. I know. It's too hard. It's too complicated. Anybody who's ever um, had to support their family knows what I'm talking about. When it's the the password is literally the same thing everywhere. My wife did this for years. She had the same password for everything. And then yeah. over time, you know, this caught up with her because, oh, what are these charges on my credit card? Somebody's buying gas at a gas station in Florida. Like, yeah, I mean, you use the same password for every website and don't have two-factor authentication enabled for anything. So you know, it happens. Yeah, but I don't know what's worse, that or the 
the inevitable time when LastPass gets hacked, and then because I've got unique random passwords for everything, but except for that one. Oh, trust me, Jim. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. All of and, our PC oh, per stuff. I'm like staring at it. Like, what character is that? Okay. Uh, well, I, I just copy paste. Copy paste. I know, but I'm setting up a new right? system and short, I weird, thing graphically about, like, obscene sentences for your yeah. passwords. Yeah. Speaking of graphically That's obscene, true. apparently there's a penis fish infestation in California, according to the New York Post. <laughs> I, I, I could have chosen a lot of sites <laughs> to link to the Santa Claus story. I chose this one. This on is purpose. why. Yeah, because of the the quality of the, the, juxtapos- the juxtaposition is wonderful too, because the blow up doll surgery is is also just amusing. Oh, jeez. Oh. Yeah. Apparently, this is called a fat innkeeper it. worm. It's a bird. It's Sadly, a plane. They, they it's actually a- out. They outcrap the guardian, which is not easy to do. Yeah. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a penis fish. Yeah. Now, for our audio listeners, uh, Jim, will you describe? No, please don't. Please don't. It's it's apparently a fish that looks like uh, that has a very phallic shape to it. No, it's an yeah, innkeeper it worm. It, it, yeah. Just Google yeah. innkeeper worm yeah. and no, don't if you don't, if well, you value your yeah. site, do not do this. Or just head to Southern California and hang out on the beach for a few hours. Apparently, they're washing up by the thousands. Uh, for more information, <laughs> check out the New York Post, the authority on dedicated, in-depth journalism, mm-hmm. and snarky sports coverage for the Yankees and Mets. Yeah, I guess they do actually do one thing good. All right, uh, Sebastian, what have you got? Okay, uh, if I can remember, the there's a site that does video game music rips, like they host the rips. And this isn't just like MP3 files of game music. This is like files that you need a special piece of software to play because they're, they're original, like OPL3 music or stuff from Sega Genesis games. And you know, stuff from DOS games, uh, PC-88 from Japan. There's some just fantastic music out there that you can go out and listen to on YouTube, of course, or, you know, f- download some of the MP3s that exist. But there, there is a level of quality and accuracy to the original consoles and systems that is pretty staggering with this latest release of the VGM player and that's that was my real pick this week not VGM rips because that's where you go and get a lot of really good quality um source files for this music but uh VGM play is a command line program and there, there's also a plugin available you can get the the plugin version of it to use in I think it's compatible with foobar I know it's it's compatible with um a couple of different media players but the standalone VGM Play application, um, is it just runs in a command line. I, I've, I it works just fine with Windows 10. All I did was uh, I made a folder of all the VGM rips I've been downloading, and I create. I just I have the VGM player. I just made that the default playback for any of these files. So now if I just download like the the soundtrack to Silfeed from PC88. Double click on the file, it's playing, and you actually get interesting information in the command window. It tells you what the actual OPL chip was, which Yamaha chip it was programmed to use, but that's being emulated. And you know, the if there's a loop point in the file that was original to the game, that sort of thing. So it's just it's all free. It's fascinating. And hearing music like the Silfeed soundtrack that I, I just mentioned, it's just amazing. It it's 
it's like the the very best of that Sega Genesis era of OPL3 music. It's stereo. It's got a lot of different things going on. It's tuneful. So if if you're interested in video game music at all, especially the Yamaha chip stuff, like the OPL stuff, this does just a phenomenal job. It's using the absolute newest version of the uh, OPL synthesis, which I think has actually been out since about last December. That was that's in like forks of uh, DOSBox, and it it we've we've gotten all the way to the point now where I'm satisfied that this is this is as good as it's probably ever going to get. It certainly sounds source accurate, so you can be nuts like I am and spend money on vintage hardware. I have a a, a pretty significant sound card collection at this point, or you can use something like this and like, well, damn, this is it sounds better because I'm getting a clean digital signal and using modern equipment to play it back, but check it out. All right. So that's a VGM play. We'll have the links uh, to that and all of the picks, especially the penis fish in the show notes. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Uh, Like I said, at the beginning of the show, we do this every Wednesday nights at 10 PM Eastern. If you want to be notified when we go live, head over to pcpro.com slash subscribe. We can join our mailing list. We send out an email uh, in about an hour or so before each show. I was a little late today. Apologize to you were. Uh, Mayor PPC. It came at about 18 or 19 past the hour. If it, I'm not yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so it rolls out over, you know, it takes the way we've got it set up. It takes a few minutes to send to everybody. But uh, oh, normally we give excuse. you, right. normally we give you a few, a heads up about an hour or so. And that's, uh, again, that's pcpro.com slash subscribe. And uh, of course, pcpro.com for all the articles and reviews and charts and tables and, and pictures, all the great, photography that Sebastian does every week. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope everyone has a great week. Uh, We'll be back next week. Uh, We'll have a show uh, for sure next week. And then the week after, of course, I think it's Christmas. So we probably will not have anything for you, at least anything live that week. Uh, But again, com slash subscribe, and we'll uh, be sure to let you know exactly what's going on. But we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone.